Hi everyone, John Clare here, and welcome to episode 21 of the EvoFi podcast, a finance podcast for humans. Today's episode focuses on a little-known charitable giving strategy called a donor-advised fund. Now, in the right situations, this can be a great tax-advantaged tool for creating a well-planned charitable giving strategy. In addition to being a great way for you to keep giving to your favorite nonprofits, it can also be a great way to leave a legacy or to help with family succession planning. So it's definitely worth checking out this podcast if you don't know much about donor-advised funds. Joining us in the podcast today is Greg Murray. Greg is a national sales executive at Vanguard Charitable, and he joined us remotely from their headquarters in Malvern, Pennsylvania. For those of you who haven't heard of Vanguard Charitable, they're a top U.S. grant-making organization that helps people create tax-effective ways to consolidate, accrue, and grant assets to charity. Since their inception in 1997, they have helped donors fulfill their philanthropic goals and make lasting charitable impacts to the tune of some $9 billion. For more information on donor-advised funds at Vanguard, visit vanguardcharitable.org. Representing the EvoFi team today is myself, John Clare, Mariami Pierce, and Dave O'Brien. If you're not already a subscriber to the podcast, please subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or pretty much anywhere else you get podcasts these days. Also, check us out on Twitter or Instagram at EvoFi Podcast, or drop us a line at EvoFi Podcast at gmail.com. Remember, this podcast is 100% free of any tax, legal, or investment advice. Our goal here is education and a little fun. If you need advice in any of the areas mentioned, tailored to your specific circumstances, give us a call and we'll see how we can help you. Now, let's get to the podcast. Here's the EvoFi team talking with Greg Murray. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to the next episode of the EvoFi podcast, a finance podcast for humans. This is episode 21, where we're going to be talking about donor-advised funds and using them as a tool to achieve your financial and charitable goals. We are very lucky to have with us today Greg Murray of Vanguard Charitable. Greg, welcome. Yes, thank you for having me. It's a, it's a privilege and honor uh, to be be uh, speaking on this webcast, uh, so yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it. So, are you? Uh, as our guests should know, you are actually not in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, you are dialing in from you in Pennsylvania. That is correct. Uh, we are based out of uh, the the motherland of where Vanguard was started in Malvern, Pennsylvania. Um, but the nice thing is, is uh, I have the luxury of covering the whole country, so I am your main contact uh, when it comes to all things uh, Vanguard Charitable. Excellent. Well, we're looking forward to diving in there and um, talking a little bit about how, how Vanguard Charitable started and your relationship to, as you call, the mothership. Um, first, let me introduce the rest of the band here, um, Mariami Pierce and Dave O'Brien. Dave's back from his assignment. Um, Dave is pointing out that you have a Delaware Valley accent. Does that mean anything to you, Greg? <laughs> well, he, I, he hit it right on the nose. I'm from Delaware County, so if he, if he knows that uh, well, it's where I grew he, up. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm Montgomery knows. County, so yeah. 
I'm Lower Marion Township. Ah, good. There you go. There you go. <laughs> what happened to your accent, though, Dave? I don't have an accent. Yeah. He's buried it. He's I've, buried I've, I've it. lost most of it. But, but if you ask anybody from that area to say two words, you know. W-A-T-E-R. Greg? Water. There you go. It's water. And How do you say Eagles. Well, you see, you just Eagles. Gave okay, Eagles. so you do it right. Yeah. Dave, say Eagles. Eagles. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we're we're going to have to agree to disagree uh, on that. What are yous doing? Yeah. <laughs> That's South Philly. <laughs> we just lost all of our South Philly audience. Okay, right. so moving right along. Well, hey, so Greg, uh, uh, like I said, we like to have a little bit of fun on this podcast, and we're going to talk about some serious stuff. But before we get in, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and just a, a very basics about um, how you got to where you are. Sure, absolutely. I appreciate it. Um, so I, uh, right out of college, I went to Albright College in Reading, Pennsylvania. Uh, went to, uh, for high school, the Haverford School on the main line. Um, and I started in the financial services um, industry at a place called Planco slash Hartford Mutual Funds, um, where I was introduced uh, on the distribution side of uh, the mutual fund department. Um, so I worked my way up uh, the ranks, um, started taking income calls, became internal wholesaler, external wholesaler, what have you. Um, and then I uh, had the opportunity to then work for RS Investments before uh, we were sold to Victory Capital. Um, and then at that time, uh, it was a it was a moment of uh, what I saw within the industry uh, a shift. Of, um, I'm sure you all are familiar or have heard about the the advisors alpha from uh, from portfolios to people. Um, so Vanguard Charitable was looking for someone to head up the segment of the business to really focus on the RIA market, like you all, um, to really promote um, the distribution of our donor advised fund um, for you and your clients' charitable giving. And it made too much sense for me not to take that opportunity be, uh, for many reasons. One, I admire the work that you all do and love working with financial advisors um, and love providing them um, the necessary tools for your clients. And then secondly, um, in regards to philanthropy, um, really promoting philanthropy throughout the country through the use of donor advised funds, being involved in the local community, what have you. Um, so at that opportunity, I then became um, the national sales executive overseeing all things considered um, within the RIA financial advisor market with the Vanguard Charitable. And it'll be two years in December since I've been in this role. And uh, it's a dream job. And it's a, it's a job that I, uh, I foresee um, ending my career in because, uh, again, it, it's, uh, it's not only providing that, um, that emotional side of, uh, of philanthropy for folks like yourselves and for your clients, but um, to work with the great individuals and the great work that they're doing through their charitable uh, tools uh, to the nonprofits across the country. Um, it just uh, it just brings a lot of pleasure to my everyday travel and meetings and what have you. Well, I would suspect that, that a lot of folks listening, no offense to any of us here, but they probably have no idea what donor advised fund means. And so I'm super excited to be able to share that uh, today. I think there's a a lot of applicability to to that in a more of a modern world, and um, so for those who are listening, stick around. I know we're going to have a little bit of fun here with the Evo Five, but I think this is a really great topic um, to to stick around for. So, um, 
Greg, I'm going to let you give a little bit of an intro on a Vanguard Charitable here in a second, because um, I imagine once we start there, we won't stop. Um, but first, <laughs> we like to have a little bit of fun with something called the Evo 5. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm guessing you got those in advance. Did, did it help in advance to get the questions where we're, we've been kind of toying with not giving questions up front uh, or giving them? What was your, what was your initial uh, feedback? Did it work? Yeah, I okay. appreciated the, the right. questions. Nobody likes surprises, right? <laughs> well, sometimes. There's not many surprises these days. All right. Well, there's 10 more questions that are – I'm just joking. All right. <laughs> so let's let's dive in real quick. And, again, all joking aside, this is just a little bit of fun to, to get to know you a little bit better. Um, so let's let's dive in. What profession other than your own would you attempt? I would love to be a uh, – since I played college sports uh, – and I'm 5'9", 165 pounds, and uh, I don't have any speed anymore. Um, I would love to be a sports agent. A sports agent. Okay. That's cool. That's the first time we've gotten that one. That's awesome. What kind of sports uh, would you primarily uh, be involved with? Primarily football. Football. Do you play football at mm-hmm. school? Yes. Okay. In my head, I see this picture of, like, Rudy. Would that, is that how I would think of you? <laughs> I, I wasn't lining up in the trenches. I was okay. on the outside uh, at cornerback uh, covering the receivers. Uh, I would have got eaten alive in the trenches. <laughs> All right. Uh, what is your favorite word? Yeah, I was debating back and forth on uh, on that one. Um, and I think the one that I, the word that I use a lot is I'm just kidding, or I, it's not a word; it's a phrase. Yeah. So kidding. Kidding. Okay. Mm-hmm. That that's that's a good. We've had some expletives, um, so I like the uh, that word. It's much uh, much more family friendly. So kidding. So that gives me a sense <laughs> that you like to you're a personable guy and you like to have a little bit of fun. So this hopefully is right up your alley. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You're at, you hit it right on the call. The nail on the call. Mm-hmm. So uh, what would you do differently if you knew no one would judge you? Hmm. No one would judge me. What would I do differently? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And I was trying to because uh, I'm, I'm an open book, okay. um, so people usually um, know what I do and what I think. Um, but uh, probably uh, it would if, if I was invisible and. Uh, I guess seeing some things that I'm not supposed to see, what have you, and uh, so there's, that's, I think, along those lines, um, that's what I would do differently. Okay, so you would be a superhero, uh, more or less. Yeah, having a, a superhero. <laughs> uh. <laughs> all right. So, greatest of all time, uh, if you could name one, it doesn't have to be the one, but who comes to mind for you? Tom Brady. Tom Brady. And that's coming from an Eagles fan. I was going to say, I'm, that's, I'm, that's, I'm that's rare. I'm just sitting here just apoplectic about that. So, all right. Yeah. Uh, and, well, that's why just that, that Super Bowl win against the Patriots is just that much greater because yes, we is. did beat the game. That's hard to argue that, actually. Best Super Bowl ever. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Who won that? Hopefully, we're, hopefully we'll get another one this year. We, uh, we look good on paper. And uh, so, yeah. So here's the last one. Uh, now, Greg, this is uh, the Name Not Toot segment, and so we try to do a song in the, in the vein of the podcast. 
Now, we have not given you any advance notice, uh, and I've asked the team here to supply a song. Uh, but none of them have, so I picked one <laughs> on their behalf. So what we're going to do is we'll give you about 15 seconds. Again, the theme of the podcast is around charitable. So here we go. Um, we're going to test your metal here. Now, I went on LinkedIn to see kind of about what period of time you grew up in, so I'm hoping that uh, this one didn't miss you. Hang on. <laughs> Hot chili peppers, give it away now. Congrats, that's awesome. So you got the. the I didn't want to play the lyrics because it made it too easy. It totally makes it easy. Excellent. You're one of the few who's gotten them right. So, uh, well done, Mariami. Still looking at me like, have you heard that song before? No. You've heard have of the you Red Hot Chili, of the chili peppers? peppers? Okay. Okay. Right. okay. Dave, you, yeah. Cecilia, yeah. you heard of Red Hot Chili Peppers? You've heard of them. The food, you mean, oh, right? There's so much <laughs> so much that we need to teach you. There we go. So uh, we'll play that. We'll play the chorus here at the end of the podcast. That, that was so. probably the best match song to guest. You like best that? Best match song to topic. Well, and if you listen to the actual lyrics of the song, it really has nothing to do with charitable giving, not, no. uh, which is why I didn't play any of the verse. But anyhow, good job, Greg. Good job, Greg. Thank you. All right, so let's dive in. So tell us a little bit about Vanguard Charitable, how it started and kind of the mission, uh, and just kind of tee up kind of the program overall and how you think it might apply to, to individuals who, who are charitably inclined, and we'll go from there. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so back in the 1997, uh, Vanguard Charitable was founded um, by uh, the ex-CEO of Vanguard, um, and who is now our chairman of the board still, uh, Jack Brennan. Um, so we've been around for uh, 22 years now, and we are now one of the largest grant makers um, throughout the country. Um, since our inception, um, we've granted out to charities uh, roughly $9 billion, uh, which is uh, impressive and credit to our donors. Um, we stand roughly with the $10 billion assets under management um, with roughly 18,000 um, accounts. Uh, we are a complete separate entity to Vanguard um, because uh, Jack um, made that intentionally because he, he's a philanthropist himself and he understands um, that the client's philanthropy is very private um, and he wanted that privacy upheld um, when he started Vanguard Charitable. Um, so we are a 501c3, um, but uh, unlike other donor advice funds, we are not um, closely aligned like I always, like I mentioned, the mothership of uh, Vanguard. So, so for for our listeners, most of them have probably heard about Vanguard, and I think they can understand the noble mission that uh, that was undertaken to split this part out. Uh, tell us a little bit about donor advised funds in general, kind of in the like as I like to say, the duckies and horsies version of kind of what it is and, and why people use it. Mm-hmm. So donor advised funds, uh, they've been around actually since the 1920s, but they haven't really became prevalent until say uh, 10, 15 years ago. And they are now considered um, the fastest growing philanthropic tool today um, for many reasons. Um, but it is a, it's a tax effective charitable tool that allows clients slash donors um, to really consolidate a crew and grant to any 501c3 charity of their liking 
um, and said he had the ability to choose investments uh, that are uh, given by Vanguard um, and managed by Vanguard. Uh, they are able to provide a succession plan on what they want the account to do or happen upon their passing, what have you, um, because it's intended to be a multi-generational family philanthropic tool. And I think that the best thing, um, and a lot of folks ask, well, what can we contribute to start a donor? Um, it can either be cash, it can be appreciated security. So why not, uh, if you have to pay taxes on capital gains, why not use those those capital gains um, for charitable intent um, or pay Uncle Sam? So you, I always say that to um, donors. So what would you rather do, pay to the government or, or have it go to charity? And they always say charity. Um, and also um, illiquid assets. So things like uh, if someone owns a business, uh, private equity, um, hedge fund interest, what have you. Um, anything really um, to minimize taxes and have more money earmarked uh, for charity. So, so let me ask the question that maybe some of our listeners are, are, are asking themselves, which is, Okay, great. So I have annual commitments that I give to my church or you know local foundations or whatnot. Um, how does the donor advised funds donor advised fund uh, scenario help with that? Or, or how how would you help them differentiate um, giving through a donor advised fund uh, versus kind of more immediate kind of annual giving? Sure. Uh, so the beauty of a, a donor advised fund, um, just think of it as like a, your own charitable checkbook, so to speak, uh, where we provide the tax substantiation form. So for a given year, when you contribute assets, um, you get a tax deduction for that given year. Um, and you have the ability um, to grant um, to any organization of your liking from Vanguard Charitable, your, your donor portal, your account, um, what have you. Um, and so why use a donor advice fund compared to direct giving? Um, we have a great piece uh, that we can uh, uh, share with with uh, your uh, clients uh, and, and the audience of uh, how much uh, you, you can accrue due to market performance and performance of our investment products over time. Because any growth within your donor advice fund is all earmarked for charity. Um, and it's as easy as just going in to your, uh, your portal, um, picking the organization of your liking, um, clicking if you wanna make it a, a one-time grant, recurring grant, um, you can set up uh, to your liking. Um, and then you can have as many charities as you would like. Um, so we don't put a limit um, on the number of charities that you can grant out to. Um, and all of that is stored and we do everything on the back end to send um, the, the check uh, slash cash to those organizations on your behalf. So one thing you mentioned, and I'm sorry I'm hogging the conversation. My associates here are writing feverishly, so I'm sure they have lots of questions for you. But um, you mentioned something about investing and then the growth could then be distributed to to charities of their choosing. That's not a requirement, right? And it, mm -hmm. it's um, in some cases, if you want to re retain the corpus of the of the investment and, and pay out gains to the charities, it can be done. But there's no restriction on how much you can give. Correct? 
No. Um, so our only requirement is one grant every five years um, uh, because uh, that's uh, that's the great um, and, the, and the use and the flexibility of donor advice funds. So that is the only requirement, unlike a private foundation where they have an annual requirement of 5%. Um, we don't have that um, requirement year in and year out. So um, we see a lot of folks being more strategic in their philanthropy. Um, so some years uh, it could be a certain dollar amount. Next year it should be a dollar, an extra dollar amount. Maybe one year they don't give to the, to the charities that they're liking. Um, but it, we really leave it up to the discretion of the donor um, that is advising on the account. And you mentioned there's a piece that you've got that you can share with our listeners. We'll go ahead and put that on the on the blog post after this podcast. So folks who are listening who are interested in that, um, we'll make sure we put it out there for you. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so Dave, did you have a question? Well, so as I listened to you, and this is, I think, really helpful for the folks out there listening, because when we've explained how a donor advised fund works to folks, um, a lot of the time they, they haven't heard of them. And um, as I listened to you, as people make grants, um, are they generally doing it in one lump sum, or do they, to John's point, a lot of folks have kind of an annual gifting strategy. Um, do, do folks benefit by making a contribution um, a, a contribution to their account every year? Mm -hmm. What do you generally see? Yeah, uh, so with the new uh, tax laws, um, and because uh, it got doubled um, for, for married couples, uh, being now at 24,000, to get above that standard deduction, um, folks are uh, typically um, contributing 25,000. Um, and that's typically, um, that could be for five years, seven years, 10 years, um, but, and then they won't make another contribution um, for the, say, the, the foreseeable future. And that 25,000, um, the beauty of it, hopefully um, not going wood, um, due to good market performance and performance of our uh, products uh, that they're allocated in, um, that 25000 is growing just as long as when it's time for you um, to your liking when you want to grant out that, uh, that donor advice fund to the charities of your liking. So um, that, is, that is a strategy we, we call a bunching, uh, where they are contributing to get above that standard tax deduction for a given year, um, get that tax deduction, and then using um, that contribution for the say next five years, and then um, they again say 24 with the standard deduction is 24. Let's get above that standard deduction again at 25. Contribute again. Um, so it, it really varies, and that's the nice thing about uh, folks uh, with the donor advice fund is uh, they can be as strategic um, as they like, and they can be as flexible um, as they like as well. Yeah, so so for folks listening, so typically it's when someone wants to itemize and take advantage of bunching those contributions all into one year, uh, where it would be in excess of the standard deduction, and then the payouts can still be structured annually, right? Uh, it's not limited Absolutely. to the year in which you contribute, so you could still meet your annual uh -huh. obligations. But if I'm someone who's gotten a large payout, a bonus, or whatnot and wanted to, you know, take advantage of an itemized charitable deduction, that may be the year you put money into a donor advised fund um, for the tax benefit and then still continue your annual contributions going forward to the charity. Absolutely. Uh-oh. 
Did anybody hear that? Yes. I think we're just being attacked by aliens. Okay. Greg, did you hear that? <laughs> I did. Okay, we're still here. All right, anyway. We'll, we'll cut, Dave, okay, cut that apart. All right, so we'll start again here. So um, as people listening to this are thinking, I don't know, maybe I don't have that kind of money, who is, I guess, what's the threshold for where this makes sense? If somebody's gifting you know, $1,000 to charity a year, I'm thinking maybe not. Uh, if somebody's gifting, at what level does this start to make sense for them um, f for that first contribution? Mm -hmm. So um, other so some donor advised funds, the minimum um, is $5,000. So um, that, that's, a, that's really um, the minimum contribution. So if, uh, if you're in that range, uh, that's, hey, that's, you can be as philanthropic as possible starting at a, a $5,000 account. Um, we are, uh, our minimum is $25,000. Um, so uh, that is our threshold, but there are uh, others um, that you can um, start at that threshold. So it, I would say um, if you're within those ranges, um, it makes sense um, because, uh, if you're giving out, uh, say, like you said, um, a thousand dollars here, a thousand dollars there, uh, it can, it can, it's a lot of hassle um, to really keep track of all those, uh, I would say, charitable dollars um, that you're uh, going out the door, and then where we can consolidate all of that, provide that one tax substantiation letter, um, and then um, again, I'm going to keep on coming back to this. Uh, um, accruing within the account because that is the huge benefit of the donor advised fund because it's like investing um except for you don't have to pay capital gains on this money it's all earmarked for charity um you can uh, that money can accrue and then over time the impact of market performance return of the portfolio um and then the impact that you can have with your charitable dollars is just tremendous again um, that illustration that I'll provide uh, for all of you um, really demonstrates over a long time period. Um, so, so, so for that impact. person or that family that are putting $5,000 a year to charities, um, that bunching strategy gets you five years at $25,000 in one lump sum, and they get to itemize that all in one year. That's where this starts to become effective. What are your average contribution sizes or average account size? You've 10 billion in assets under management, 18 billion accounts. I guess we could do the math there. It's, it's a pretty good size account. Mm -hmm. It's like a half a million dollar account. You say 18 billion accounts? Uh, is that what you said? I don't know. How many accounts? That's a lot of accounts. accounts yep. 18 how many? Uh, 18,000 accounts. Uh, 18,000 yeah, accounts. 18 billion. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, 18,000 accounts. So uh, uh, what, what, what's kind of the, the average that you see, I mean, aside from the math? Yeah, uh, the, typically what we're seeing is uh, roughly around 250,000 mm -hmm. is uh, the, the now, average account. Now, somebody could say that's a fair... We see everything from... Uh, th that's a fairly good amount of money. What if the donor still has money in their charitable account, in their donor-advised fund, and uh, they die. What happens with the uh, the assets at that point, and who who determines uh, where that money will be granted at that point? Sure, great great question. 
Um, and this is something that is very unique um, within the unrevised funds. Um, so upon your passing and upon opening up an account, um, you have to name a succession plan on, um, because uh, in the beginning I, I said, this is intended to be a multi-generational family philanthropic pool. Um, and, that, and that's what it's, uh, and that's, that's what it's supposed to do. Um, so you can do a number of things. Um, you could, um, you could name a predecessor. So it can be a, a family member, a good friend, what have you, um, just someone of significance where that account can be passed down. Um, so that individual can carry out their own philanthropic, um, uh, mission. It could be granted out to the charities of choice over a certain, uh, period of time. Um, it could be left with Vanguard Charitable. Um, but one example I would love to um, bring up is, uh, and why a lot of uh, individuals utilize um, the donor advice fund um, with us, is uh, what we've seen within the, the private foundation space is uh, sometimes uh, when it's time to go to the next generation, um, the family's done a great job of promoting philanthropy. Um, and they really went to the next generation and said, go out and find your own philanthropic passion. Um, it doesn't have to be the same as ours, but go out um, and, uh, and nine times out of 10, that next generation, they have different philanthropic passions uh, than, their, than their mom and dad. And that's totally fine. But mom and dad, they've been, grand, they've been working with uh, and given to their local church their whole lives and they once, once it's handed down to the next generation, there's no guarantee that they have to grant to that church. But mom and dad, they want to know that that church is going to be taken care of upon their passing. So this is just an example. You could dice it out any way you would like, but this was just a recent example. So, um, so upon their passing, 50% of, of an account, um, the mom and dad, they can set an endowed grant plan where a certain amount over a certain period of time goes to the local church. So their legacy lives on. The other 50% is handed down to those of significance to carry out their own philanthropic passion. So the nice thing is, is when this is set up as a succession plan, um, because a lot of families, instead of having, um, because we all know um, within private foundations, they have uh, quarterly meetings, biannual meetings, what have you. They're now doing it with donor advised funds. and all the members of the family now feel like they're being heard. They don't have to feel like or hide their own philanthropic causes because it's not the same cause as mom and dad. It's not the same cause as a private foundation. They all gather together and talk about the philanthropy and the work that they're doing um, in their own specific causes. So um, that's the beauty of the flexibility of uh, the succession plan. And um, because we understand that each family um, has different dynamics and each family um, situation is different um, because this is really intended to be a legacy family multi-generational philanthropic tool. Thank you. That's, that's oh, I was a little long-winded there. No, no, but... that, that, that's helpful because I think that's the kind of thing when, when this is a new concept for a lot of folks um, and, and a lot of the folks that we work with, I'm sure a lot of people listening um, do have some, you know, assets that they do uh, gift to charity uh, every year. Um, and we'll get back on a couple of these items that you mentioned earlier, but just understanding, so what happens once I put the money there? You know, do we lose mm -hmm. control of it? 
Uh, and what happens if I'm not here anymore is, is, is one that we hear often. Um, whose money is it once it's gifted to Vanguard Charitable? It's a completed mm -hmm. gift, so it doesn't belong to the grantor at that point. It, it, it's an asset of Vanguard Charitable? That is correct. Um, because you received a tax deduction, um, so we liquidated um, those assets immediately and invested in those investment portfolios of the allocation that you choose. So legally, yes, they are our assets, um, but um, the donors advise us um, and we and we advise uh, and we really fulfill um, the advisement of our donors um, and it's upheld um, from Again, generation to generation to generation. So, what are the? Uh, sorry, Dave, I just uh, interrupted you. But so, what? What are Vanguard Charitable's specific responsibilities to the donor when it comes to honoring uh, their intentions? Um, is it possible that the the donor advised fund could say, you know, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to give to so and so. I mean, kind of. How does it? How is it spelled mm -hmm. out? How, how does the actual donor kind of? have some confidence that their wishes will be honored. I know it's kind of an unfair question, but I think maybe some yeah. people, uh, as it's a complete completed gift, they may wonder, could that change? Sure, sure absolutely. Um, so uh, we are a cause-neutral organization. So um, we don't um, steer donors in one direction or the other. Um, we, we, we help if they, wanna, um, if they want some assistance um, in a certain field, um, we will provide that for them. Um, but we don't say, all right, you have to grant to this organization. You don't have to grant to, the, to that organization. Um, the, the beauty of uh, working the, with us as well is uh, we provide our donors uh, with a tool called GuideStar. Um, it, it's uh, pretty much a 501c3 directory. Mm -hmm. And it's based it's rated based on transparency. So there's millions and millions of charities, organizations um, in this database um, where clients, donors, um, they can look at the 990s, the financials, the what have you of the charities that, they, that they're interested in. Because we understand um, that sometimes these donor advised funds are opened up due to tax implications. That's totally fine. Um, and what we heard from our donors, they want to become more effective with their granting. So we rolled out this tool where it's integrated um, and it's really became effective because say you have a client, they don't, they don't know a specific organization, but um, they can say, oh, within um, a five mile radius of a, a certain city, um, we're passionate about animals. So can you identify the, the local SBCAs? This tool will pull up all the SPCAs rated based on transparency. They can look at them, evaluate. Um, they can concur with us, talk about it. Um, because what we're really here to do is exceed any expectations when it comes to philanthropy um, with, with our donors. Um, because um, we understand um, how much their philanthropy means to them and how much um, impact they want to have with these certain organizations. And I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, GuideStar is not proprietary to Vanguard Charitable, correct? Isn't that an independent kind of uh, organization, or am I mistaken? No, it, it is independent. Um, okay. But through working with GuideStar for many years, 
Um, and uh, we're very big on uh, listening um, to our donors on how we can make their philanthropic experience um, more valuable and more effective. Um, we formed this relationship with GuideStar where we've completely integrated. Yeah. So once someone would go in to make a grant to the charity of their liking, it will pretty much look like uh, they're on GuideStar's yeah. um, tool, proprietary tool. And so another question that we uh, encounter at times is, like, for example, John's the president of a cancer foundation. And um, if somebody wants to make a contribution to that or to some other charity and it's not on GuideStar, uh, what do they do? Mm -hmm. So if it's within GuideStar, um, we will do all of the research on your behalf uh, to make sure it's in good standing with the IRS and it's a legit 501c3. Um, so so again, sometimes uh, the local church, the local library, um, if it's not within GuideStar, um, we will do that research. And so if you want to send out a grant, it might take, typically take up to two weeks, but if it's within GuideStar, it takes uh, roughly five days. But moving forward, we will upload all the information from our research into our database um, into guide stars. So moving forward, um, that local library, church, what have you, um, that grant will be sent out within five days. So as long as it's a 501c3 charitable organization, even if it's not in GuideStar, even if it's not one you've support or you've connected other donors with in the past, those those donations, those contributions can be made and facilitated by Vanguard Charitable, correct? Correct. Yeah. Any 501c3 that's in good standing with the IRS can receive a grant from Vanguard Charitable. Okay. So if I'm, again, I always say this, but if I'm a listener now, I'm thinking, okay, great. Does this apply to me? So one is, do you want to take advantage of bundling your deductions into one year? If the answer is yes, okay, great. Donor advice sons could be a great option. Uh, do I have charitable causes? Well, the answer could be yes or no. Either way, Vanguard Charitable can help connect folks through GuideStar um, with uh, organizations that fit a certain profile or right. uh, existing uh, charities that they may already support. And it's a way to create some sort of a, a legacy uh, for for your giving and to pass on that legacy to some successors uh, in the future. So if some of those things kind of match up to to a listener's intentions, then, then donor-advised funds, it would seem to me, would be something to look, to look at. Everybody agree with that? Yeah? Okay. Good. Mm -hmm. Just checking. So, so okay. Yeah. So now the, the listener understands. You're part of my team now, John. You do it better than I do. <laughs> well, as Dave said, I'm used to being on both sides of that. So I'm wondering why my organization is not in GuideStar, but we can talk about that offline. I'm not going to make any plugs for it, though. And I, I won't make the obvious jokes there. That uh, Anyway, so, Greg, so now at this point, listeners saying, all right, so yes, I do more than $5,000 a year. Uh, yes, I can put at least $25,000 in at once. Yes, my charities are 501c3s. Um, this all makes sense. I'm happy to put in some type of a, a family uh, succession plan. I get that I'm going to make a completed gift this year, which to the listeners is tax talk for if you put $100,000 in this year, you get to put a $100,000 charitable donation on your tax return and itemize that and not pay tax on mm -hmm. that. So now I put my money in, 
um, I, I, I go to, and I guess we should say vanguardcharitable.org or see your financial planner. Uh, Evo Advisors can help you with that. But anyway, you go, you create the account, you fund it, you can either move funds from an existing account that's at Vanguard or a brokerage account that's elsewhere, or as you said, you've got non-liquid assets like land or business that I would imagine is a much more complex topic than we have time to discuss. Mm-hmm. Well, then what do I do? Uh, you mentioned these various investment strategies. Um, help people understand how, do they, how can they invest, what can they invest in, uh, how frequently can they make adjustments to their portfolio or to their, uh, their donor-advised funds portfolio? Mm-hmm. So the beauty of our um, uh, product is uh, we allow, um, we call it interested parties. So um, we allow financial professionals like you all um, to assist uh, with your clients. So I know you, you do it on the, on the retail side, so you can also do it on the donor advised fund side. Um, and our availability, um, and the nice thing is, is that uh, we provide institutional plus pricing uh, for our Vanguard products, where the only way you would get that type of pricing is if you had a hundred thousand dollars plus. Um, so the average basis point um, for for an account um, is nine um, across the board, and these are nineteen different strategies. Um, they're single fund, passive strategies, active strategies. Um, we have fund to fund options based on the risk tolerance of of the client. Um, and we also have ESG options because, uh, again, uh, we're starting to see a lot of folks, they want to align their investments with their values. Um, so whatever the risk tolerance that you have, um, and as you look at our lineup, it's the best of breed that Vanguard has to offer. Um, and uh, really at, at a price stand, price point of nine basis points across the board on average, um, our belief system is really the less money paid in fees and expenses, the more money you'll have uh, earmarked for charity. So, so you mentioned a little bit about the, the kind of the investment, uh, kind of taking a step further on how the investment part works and the choices folks have and the costs. Can you talk a little bit more about just the relationship overall between the donor and Vanguard Charitable and kind of what are some of the other things kind of throughout the year or kind of what does the relationship look like? Sure, because uh, uh, the, the the nice thing too is if uh, for if you're very charitable inclined, um, because uh, we are a five hundred one c three and we're one of the biggest nonprofits uh, and grant makers uh, in the country, um, we get um, access uh, to a lot of great resources. So we partner closely with the Lewis School of Philanthropy out of the Indiana. We partner with the the Bill and Melinda Gates uh, Foundation. Um, so we are always, um, I would say our ears are on the ground on what's going on within the philanthropic world. So not only, um, on the, what donors are doing, but, uh, legislation wise within DC, um, based on donor advised funds. So, um, you could, uh, expect, um, to always, uh, be getting valuable resources that can help you carry out your philanthropy mission um, and the nice thing is and what we also take very serious is our service um, so if it's service uh, to financial advisors service to donors um, we are always accessible um, if it's through uh, an email phone what have you um, because uh, 
every inquiry is very important to us. So um, that's really our, our bread and butter is the service to help individuals um, really have the best experience when it comes to their philanthropy. Because, hey, at the end of the day, it's what they're passionate about, they're excited about it, and we want to make it as seamless as possible. Okay, so do you find yourself working uh, more directly with, with the donors? Do you work more with kind of financial advisors who are kind of facilitating the, the process with the donor? Uh, or does it tend to kind of operate separately, kind of just directly between Vanguard and, and the donor? Yeah. Uh, again, it's uh, not, not one size fits all. Every situation is different. Um, so uh, we can do either way. Um, we can do both work with the donor and the financial advisor. We can streamline everything through the financial advisor. If the donor and the family want to be involved with us, um, we can do that as well. So um, it, it's really up to um, what the, the donor slash financial advisor or what type of experience or outcome they want to get um, because we offer um, all types of service levels um, for not only donors but also financial advisors. All right. So I think hopefully our listeners got a pretty good idea of, of what this looks like and why they may look at it. And we've talked about all the great things associated with donor-advised funds. Uh, what are some of the things that uh, maybe pitfalls or risks or things that would help people you know, identify themselves as not, you know, good candidates for a donor advised funds. Are there things, you know, th that you could point out that maybe haven't worked well uh, or wouldn't fit a certain uh, profile? Yeah, it, it's a, it's the, the thing that is a, the, the biggest pitfall or it's things that uh, I would say um, negative about donor advised funds is that people don't know about donor advised funds. Um, so uh, you all uh, are doing a great job of putting this at the forefront to your clients um, because uh, if you asked, uh, I would, and this is in all honesty, eight out of 10 people, they don't know what a donor advised fund is. So um, that is so becoming familiar um, and, ha and giving the, the people the ability to really um, make it easier to carry out their philanthropic mission is the number one thing. And then I would say the other, the other area that we sometimes uh, have a, a little bit of a black eye is, uh, um, is our granting requirement, the one grant every five years, because sometimes uh, charities, individuals, they want money coming in year in and year out. Um, but as a whole, uh, as an organization, we are granting out um, roughly 15 to 20% of our AUM year over year. So um, even though it's not coming from a particular individual, um, our donors, our 18,000 accounts as a whole is uh, distributing 15 to 20% of uh, the AUM year in and year out. Um, I know it's a, it's, I know it's kind of a sidetrack, but it's a, it's, there's really um, not a lot of downfalls uh, with utilizing a donor advice fund. All right. Well, I think uh, I think we're kind of running low on time here. I think that's a great way to to kind of get close to the end. But to be fair to you, Greg, I'd like to give you the last few words. Um, so I'm gonna look around the table here real quick and see if there's any last questions from our group um, before I turn it over to you, Dave, Mariam. Any last questions that we haven't covered? I think this is really helpful. Yeah. Um, when people want to learn more about the unadvised funds, besides. Uh, VanguardCharitable.org. Are there other sites that you would suggest for them to, to learn more? Mm -hmm. So even if you just Google donor advice funds, uh, a plethora of uh, information will pop up. 
Um, other providers uh, th that have donor advice funds, uh, not only Vanguard Charitable, we understand that, um, so Fidelity, Schwab, um, they have uh, um, donor advice funds as well. Um, but hey, if they want to learn more, um, they contact you, you contact me, and we'll get them up to speed as much as possible. Um, so it's a, there's a, yeah, there's really um, any question that's not asked is a, is a question that we want. So um, that's, we're really here to help. Um, that's the main thing. Become aware, um, make folks aware about donor advice funds, how they work, and make it as easy as possible for them. Uh, what a great tool, uh, Greg. So give us a last, um, last word. Anything uh, that we neglected to cover or think, things you'd like to add uh, for our listeners before we sign off? No, because uh, uh, sometimes uh, when you hear of uh, alternatives of private foundations, uh, that's what a donor advice fund um, is typically referred to. People think, well, I'm not in that realm. Um, but when we talk about uh, starting an account at a 5000 25000 um, you are a philanthropist. Um, so philanthropist, uh, just like anything else, comes in all shapes and sizes. Um, and uh, really have a, a, a tool um, that can really help you consolidate Help you accrue more dollars EMR for charity and really um, start a legacy within your family um, and uh, and really start promoting um, family work, family in the community, what have you is is a is a great thing um, and that's what a donor advice fund allows you to do. Um, be a philanthropist starting at uh, like again five thousand, twenty five thousand, what have you. It can be all the way up to who knows what. Um, but also um, talking about your philanthropy with your family, talking about philanthropy with uh, other individuals, because that's what you like. That's what you love talking about. That's your passion. Um, it's just sometimes uh, folks, they're not really going to talk about, uh, oh, well, I say this much on taxes or this, blah, blah, blah. blah. It's great personally. Um, but the, the work that you're doing within your philanthropy is the, is the part that is really fulfilling. Um, and to really promote it um, as a multi-generational tool. So uh, again, ask about it. Ask the folks at EVL Advisors. Um, they, are, they are great people. Um, they'll communicate to me if there's any questions uh, that they can't answer. Um, but yeah, we, uh, we hope uh, and we will continue this uh, great partnership uh, with this firm moving forward. Well, it's what we call capitalism with a conscience. It's, uh, it's as you said, it's, it's a great way to uh, have your money do good. And uh, 18 billion accounts can't be wrong. Oh, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> there you go with those numbers. Anyway, there. hey, Greg Murray, it's great to have you on the, on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Uh, well, thank you for having me. Again, it was a privilege and honor, and uh, I look forward to speaking with uh, all of you soon. That's Thanks, great. Greg. And for all our listeners, uh, we look forward to seeing you again on the next podcast. So stay tuned for the next one. Until then, take care. Bye, everyone.